Welcome to Mill Resource Radio, where we highlight military and veteran support organizations. Hear directly from organization leaders and those who've benefited from their services. Thousands of organizations exist, but if you don't know about them, how do you seek their help? Join us for discovery, access, and knowledge about effective military and veteran organizations sharing their missions and accomplishments directly with you. And now here are your hosts, Linda Crater and Les Davis. Good morning. We are very happy that you have joined us today. We're going to be talking about a really interesting topic today with a good friend of mine who I've known for a long, many years. And it is a common topic in terms of PTSD being prevalent in military families. It is less prevalent when we're talking about the addition of moral injury, which is always a complex dichotomy of are they the same, are they part and parcel, um, and how do you treat them differently? But we're also going to be talking about his story, his personal story, and the finding of an alternative therapy that is not well known, but is quite famous, as you will find out, and the help it brought to veterans, to himself, and that offers to many. And the underlying thought behind all of this is when you go outside yourself, you go into an environment that is safe and welcome and supportive, the trauma can be discussed and talked about and uncomplicated, decoupled, um, experience joy again. And while this is sort of a lengthy introduction, I just want to make sure that we are getting across that we are talking about an alternative therapy for PTSD that may be of great interest to many of our families listening, and also to keep your mind open to volunteering in efforts that may sound a little odd to you at first, but have helped so many others. And I love bringing alternative therapies to our shows because it's extremely important. And we're going to be talking today to Dr. George Patron, a former pediatrician in the Army, 20 years. And George brings personal perspective to both PTSD, uh, his belief, he and his wife's belief in suicide prevention and their personal story about that, and then bring in what we will call therapeutic clowning. You may have heard of Patch Adams, who was in the movie with Robin Williams, or, or was based on the movie with Robin Williams, about therapeutic clowning. And we're going to be talking about all of those topics here. We may have to have a series of shows to cover all of it. But I would love to introduce you to my friend and an amazing professional, George Patron. Welcome to Military Network Radio, George. Hello, Linda. Good morning. Good morning. It's great <laughs> to be on hand. Good morning. Good morning to you. I'm just you. curious. Do you have your nose on? Uh, I, I once you put a nose, uh, you put a nose on. It's always on, Linda. There like you Pat, go. Patch Adams taught me a nose is just a trick to get close to people, and then when you're close. Uh, your whole countenance, your personality changes, which is what happened to the, myself and the veterans. And you find that you feel like you have it on, but I don't physically have it on. I'll be glad to put it on if you like. That's, 
that's okay. I know that you will be able to address all of these very heavy topics in a very good way because that's one of the reasons we became friends a long time ago with the work on suicide prevention and the many ways that our society still doesn't talk about suicide prevention, that they're afraid to even bring it out in the open. And, and we know all of the efforts to to stem the, the high suicide rate in the military and to tackle with what else we have to talk about today, but we will weave it in and out. I wonder if you would be so kind as to give a brief overview of your family's life situation so that people understand why you are so personally invested in finding ways to help veterans get through PTSD, especially with the added component of moral injury. Sure. Uh, you had mentioned uh, in the intro that uh, I am a, a retired Army pediatrician. Uh, I actually went uh, 23 and a half years uh, before I retired. Um, I, I grew up in Minnesota and uh, early on realized I wanted to do health care. I saw it in families who had nurses and doctors in their families as a child. We did not. So I wound up going to medical school, and uh, I have to say from day one of medical school, I was always feeling like a, an advocate that uh, to speak out for people. wound up uh, getting into medical school eventually, and my wife and I decided to take an, a military scholarship to pay for that. And uh, so we went ahead and joined the military. I got my pediatric residency out at Fort Lewis, Washington, and also picked up uh, classes and fellowship in child abuse and family advocacy, recognizing that would be a part of my work. So for 20 years, uh, I slowly worked my way up the chain, if you will, advanced uh, uh, as an officer, as a healthcare administrator, and then uh, took on optimizing primary care, doing patient-centered uh, healthcare delivery for the military and Department of Defense. Uh, at year 20, working all these issues, uh, deployed twice to combat zones, etc. Uh, with its my own level of post-traumatic stress, undiagnosed actually, because you now I was leading the way on advocating and taking care mm -hmm. of people. We often don't take care of ourselves in that regard. Amen. Uh, I was in California in command. My uh, youngest of three sons was uh, then in college back in San Antonio. And um, we got the call uh, message one day that he had uh, threatened, uh, made a suicide uh, uh, comment that he was going to kill himself, which threw us for a loop, of course. Uh, we tried to find him, which is a whole other program and story, but ultimately, just 10 days after he had been seen in a primary care office saying he was depressed, saying that he felt like the medications he was on was making him feel suicidal because of a lack of resources, if you will. We don't only, only have enough mental health for active duty. You're a family member. Why don't you try these medicines? He wound up uh, shooting himself 10 days later. So suddenly, uh, as a military colonel, as a pediatrician, as a family advocate, I found myself in that horrible land of grief um, at year 20 saying, what happened? What happened? This is the system I, I've grown up in. He grew up his entire 20 years as a military mm -hmm. dependent. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I, I, I moved to the other side of the mirror uh, on that day. And uh, for the next three years, still on active duty, 
I continue to raise my voice to say we've got to do something different. And I now, as a um, as a person, as a father, as a, as a, as a husband, I get it, and I get what I wasn't doing either, folks. So I'm not pointing a big finger, but now I know what we need to do. And so I took on even more so, more passionately, uh, championing to be a champion for mental health issues and certainly suicide in particular. And George, thank you for sharing that with us. It, it's the story I've heard several times from you, and each time. I I cannot imagine what you all went through, especially when you add that you have been in this system. He was receiving care, and there was there, the way you did that was extremely gracious. I think one of the things that you have talked about, too, with me is about the fact that you went through your own grieving cycle, your own, uh, as you said, PTSD from your own service, but this has to have added to it. And you became very interested in moral injury and how depression and anxiety can still break through and cycle even if you're receiving treatment. And people don't know what to do with that other than to medicate. And you came upon, um, we'll get into Patch Adams and the uh, therapeutic clowning shortly, but can you first talk to us about this concept of sensing because we will come back to that later on when we talk about the trips and the therapeutic clowning. And I think it's important our listeners know what sensing is right from the very beginning. Well, the, the, uh, all the folks who are tuned into the program today have an interest uh, you know, in uh, veterans and anybody who has post-traumatic stress, from whether they're read up on the the uh, literature for adverse childhood experiences uh, came out of the Kaiser uh, group and so on years ago. And it really looks at our, our life of trauma, which is a normal part of life. To be able to uh, deal with uh, these uh, traumatic experiences and uh, going in and out of uh, a normal and expected depression, if you will, requires uh, having a safety team, if you will, around us. And... Um, your primary care team, what we need uh, uh, from either our primary care uh, provider or the specialist we go to, whether the behavioral health or otherwise, is a relationship. It is an understanding and it is the listening to what's going on in our life and how it's affecting us to be less productive, to not feel we belong, to have a sense of desperation. Now, when I say all those things, uh, those of us working in, uh, for PTS uh, with uh, veterans and family members with what we're calling PTSD today, uh, with those all those those comments I've just made are what trigger us should trigger us to say is this person possibly suicidal, and we've got to ask the word. But you've got to have a relationship. So, whatever therapy we go to, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, uh, the eye, eye movement, EMDR, whether it is a psychotherapy traditional, whether it's giving out a medication to help our neurotransmitters come in, uh, into alignment, a better balance, you've got to have a relationship and be heard. Patch Adams, in his, with his Gesundheit Foundation, I learned when I went on a trip with them, part of the trip in humanity, what I call humanitarian clowning as opposed to therapeutic clowning. Okay, sorry. Because people who go on, on these trips, I, I've learned, um, go, go on them uh, for whatever reason, but 
the genius uh, that Patch put together when he started doing this now 20 years ago plus, um, with Russia being the first trip, was that you have a sensing session when you meet your team, your troop, and you come from all walks of life, and you sit down and the first order of business is relieve anxiety, I'm here, I'm looking at you, you've got my undivided attention, tell me about yourself. That's perfect. George, I'm going to have to cut you off. We're going on to our first break. Okay. And we'll come back talking further about sensing what it is and how it plays into humanitarian clowning. We have a few short breaks. Stay with us. You won't want to miss this. We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a family caregiver in the military community? Join us on VeteranCaregiver.com. In the military and veteran community, there are 5.5 million caregivers of our nation's injured, ill, and wounded. Whether your family member served in World War II or in the most recent Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts, there are unique needs of military and veteran caregivers. Navigating any medical system takes skill and help in obtaining good care. Veteran Caregiver has access to a rich network of advocates and organizations to assist you. Find excellent resources, short informative videos, an active Facebook community, and empathetic support. Veteran Caregiver supports those from every service branch and those who served in any conflict. Need information on sandwich caregiving, EFMP, or aging issues? VeteranCaregiver.com provides information and community to those managing busy lives with compassionate care. That's VeteranCaregiver.com. Support for those who care. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Before the break, I asked George to explain sensing sessions. The art of being present, of listening, of uh, focusing on that person. And I think we've all had experiences where you know that someone is actually listening to you. And it's rare in this day and age. People are listening and looking at their phones. They're doing other things. But when someone is truly sensing you, George, take it a little further and talk about how it fits in with how a veteran will respond when they're finally listened to. Okay. Uh, Linda, in, in my grief journey, uh, you know, I was carrying on. I had a, actually the job at the time when my uh, son died. I was being uh, transferred to Washington to work uh, uh, with the uh, medical command and, and the Department of Defense and transferring patients from the old Walter Reed to the new Walter Reed Bethesda and open up uh, the uh, Bel- Fort Belvoir for all services and do the business plan of moving people. And of course, uh, on my mind was this, um, was taking care of them in a holistic manner while I was being treated for my severe depression. And so I went in, uh, you know, established my new primary caregiver and right away, uh, we need to send you to a psychiatrist. Okay, I, I knew that was coming, sure. And your serotonin levels gotta be out of balance. You're, you're depleting them, let's put you on a medicine. And I said, no, hold it, hold it. <laughs> I want, I want to live my grief. Uh, it's horrible. It's a nightmare. But uh, I think this is a normal. I'm I'm a normal human being, and I, uh, this is stress. But uh, I don't yeah. want you to dampen it. Uh, I, you don't need to do something about it. Just 
be there. And uh, the the uh, primary caregiver got it and my family got it. And so I was looking for other therapies. So I, I gravitated to a psychologist to do psychotherapy and, and did some family therapy. And that was all fine, but I still wasn't getting over the hump. So we went to support a support group. Uh, there's the wonderful TAPS program that military mm-hmm. families can go to, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. And mm-hmm. Pam and I uh, went to those weekends. And that was another wonderful opportunity where people did listen. But I still was had this damper, this, this cloak of depression and grief hanging over me. So um, it, I just wasn't getting there. And I didn't need the medication. I was able to function. Uh, when I took the meds, I was having side effects. So there you go. Um, when it became clear that, that I was desperate for help and uh, the military uh, was having an issue with, with my productivity, although I was leading the way, doing well, but I said, maybe it's time I retire at year 23 and they need a break from me and me from them. And, uh, um, and it, I'd looked at alternative therapies as well and looked at all of the ways we help our troops and our and our society, our family members, but also in our society. We're so under stress and anxiety. All of us have a level of post-traumatic stress, if you will, uh, that we don't deal with. We almost are in a, a conspiracy of denial, as we say, in the suicide uh, okay. suicidology world. Of we, we don't want to talk about it, as you mentioned. So that's when I started looking at alternative therapies also and saying, how do I deal with the moral dilemma that uh, I lost my son while I'm working on all these issues, how could that have happened? It's because I'm a father. It's because I was too close to him. I couldn't see it and I should not feel, although I should feel guilty, that's a natural, normal reaction. And angry, uh, as you've, as you've uh, kindly said, I, I choose to look at it and say, how, how could I have missed it? Well, I needed help from the community. And so alternative therapies that are working, whether it is uh, riding horses, uh, going rock climbing, it is somebody uh, because they can, not because they have to, takes an interest. They offer an activity that I'm interested in, not that, and they may be too. And then we work out that alternative therapy to give us a sense of well-being, a sense of purpose again. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when I stumbled on, uh, as you heard in the opening, one of my passions is singing and in particular, mm-hmm. acapella singing, and uh, since way before medical school, is uh, barbershop quartet singing. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, I, I met Patch Adams for the second time as I was in my last year of active duty and was reminded of the work he had done that I was introduced to uh, back 30 years earlier in medical school. And uh, I learned about humanitarian clowning. And uh, I realized that's what true heart-to-heart sensing is about in therapy. And I discovered that by going on my first clown trip. Which is, uh, you know, Patch Adams is sort of this mythical figure that we saw in the movie. Yeah. and But he's a real person. And so when you got ready to go on this trip, uh, what's the preparation for the trip? And how are, how are those things set up? Well, uh Again, I met met Patch when I was a medical student, and I went up and talked to him uh, when he was early, obviously much earlier in his career, and discovered that he had finished med school. If, if you saw the movie, mm-hmm. um, he he fought the system and said, "I won't accept pay for my work as a physician. It's it's an honor and a privilege to uh, to uh, work with people and help them, uh, and as a healer." And then he would not uh, take malpractice insurance; that the, he was not going to operate or, or 
be a, a physician out of fear. And he's been true to that all these years. And so when I talked to him there in Minnesota, I said, I'm going to look you up when I get out of, uh, out of the military in about seven years. Well, obviously, it, it went 23 years for me. And lo and behold, uh, I, I just chanced on a, that he was talking to the uh, wounded warriors at Walter Reed uh, shortly before I retired. I went to hear him talk, and I walked up again. I stood there and said to him, Patch, uh, you don't, can't remember me, but I saw, I saw you and heard you speak in Minnesota, and now I'm, I'm getting off active duty, and I'm going to look you up at Gesundheit. I'd like to put some time in. He said, George, you got to go to Russia with us this next November. And I said, well, I don't know. I'm not a clown. And he said, George, you got to come to Russia. You've got to go with us on a trip. And uh, <laughs> I just was still wasn't convinced. And that's what all the vets who have gone on our pilot, the first two pilot trip and the second one, to the person. They didn't come seeking out clowning. It's like I, I got enough issues on my in my plate right. with my life. I, I'm not going to go off. But this is not, you know, uh Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey circus clowning. This is mm -hmm. humanitarian clowning, having a relationship with somebody for a few fleeting minutes. So I still didn't believe it. And I, I and my wife were talking about it. And I let that first November go by. And then the next year, I said, maybe I should call and find out more. When I dialed up Gesundheit and it rang and then a, a voice answered, hello, <laughs> if I'm doing patch any justice here. He's got an exuberant personality, and he says, I says, uh, yeah, I need to talk to somebody about going on a clowning trip. What do you need to know? And I said, well, uh, who am I speaking to? Patch. Oh, I, I love thought, it. Wow, Ty, Patch. you had a question. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm new to learning the story, so I'm, okay. I'm, I'm definitely all ears about it. Can you, can you tell us more about that tour, sure, the Russia clown tour? Well, I took him up on it. I went to Russia. Uh, that's the mother trip, as he calls it. The first trip, he was requested by a woman who ran an orphanage in Russia to uh, uh, bring some clowns in to help relieve the stress, the tension of the kids uh, in, in the orphanages. She wanted to do something about that as a mom herself. And uh, so I went on the trip. Uh, that particular trip is a two-week trip to Moscow and uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, I went very uh, on walking on eggs because while I, I, I am and was an entertainer and I went as Dr. George, the singing clown, uh, <laughs> I figured I would put my music to play and I, I sing as often as I can rather than talk. And uh, as I learned, you don't have to do anything once you put the nose on because all you have to do is appear and, and the nose does the work and people start smiling and you just smile back and one thing leads to another. And Patch is, is just a, a genius at helping people relax, uh, fall into it. And I discovered after 24 hours that all of these people from all over the world, China, Canada, England, um, Argentina, Switzerland, Norway, uh, were on this trip. And within 24 hours, I felt like they were all my family. I said, how is this group so open? And we hadn't been on a uh, only on one clowning gig at that time. So what you do is you have uh, an initial clown training time where everybody shares who they are, why they're there. And I quickly picked up as a clinician that, boy, these people, a lot of people have some issues like mine. And they got to know my story, that I was there grieving my son and, uh, and how I fit into this world and just retired from my, my career job. So um, that, that wound up causing me to sense that I had belonging. Mm -hmm. Hey, there's a, there's a right. treatment for suicidal ideation. And I had purpose. Uh, 
And then we went out, uh, the people who were, were so accepting, who were children in, in the orphanages, who were seniors, who were put into uh, senior centers in Russia. We went into the, uh, the psych, the lockup psych, psych, psych ward places and saw just how, boy, if we think we have it, have it uh, mm-hmm. bad, look at this. They were so welcoming and smiling. And I, you know, suddenly the, your cares became less. And uh, you left each encounter and each place we went to with a feeling like, I don't have it so bad. And these people really appreciate what I'm doing. And I, I said to Patch and a doctor, uh, Bowen White, a great, they call him the other Patch uh, from Kansas City. And uh, we were walking out from a lunch one day and I said, I have never been so silly in my life. <laughs> and uh, Patch said, George, I think you're hooked. And I said, I think I, think I am. So you have a sensing session when you start to see where you're at. You, every day you have a short session around dinner to say how you're feeling. And people cry all the time. Uh, is it, they're just, it's so much as the neurotransmitters, the synapses are being reset almost in immersion therapy. When you're having such wonderful relationships with your team, every minute, every minute you're awake with the clown team. And then with uh, each person in each organization you go to. So that in the middle of the trip, you have a, a really good therapeutic session where you're saying, where are you at now? Uh, I recall uh, uh, two guys and their son were there from Italy, couldn't speak a word of English. Um, they had lost their entire families in a, in a lance uh, earthquake. Uh, and so as, you know, as a, actually a pediatrician and a surgeon <laughs> from Italy. And they had come on the trip for whatever reason. Uh, they were such a gift to me and to talk with them and have them hug me and put their hands, you know, on me and say, I, I sense your son is here. That's the kind of group it is. And when, you, when you're given that total acceptance right from the beginning, it's so rare. And as Linda said, people rarely really listen. By the end of the two weeks and you have your last sensing session, you, I saw the change in others. And I said to the group, what did you all do to me? I, uh, I love it, George. I have to stop you. We have oh, to go okay. on a break. I'm so very sorry. We will figure out what they did do to you when we return <laughs> after these short messages. <laughs> We're Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. the millions of women each month who listen to Wise Health for Women Radio. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Join us for revitalizing conversations on fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging new, healthier perspectives. You provide a special spark to those around you, and you manage many roles, entrepreneur, mom, wife, coach, friend, daughter, and more. Here's a great way to inspire and nurture you. On Wise Health for Women Radio, host Linda Crater and her amazing guests share how to move toward your wishes and dreams and find what is possible in your busy life. If not today, then when? Take steps to flourish over 40. Join us on Wise Health for Women Radio, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on iTunes, and more at wisehealthforwomenradio.com. Helping women thrive.
back. George, we were talking about the Russia trip when we so rudely had to break into your story. Um, continue talking about what you what you felt um, after this time with people. And I believe your words were, you know, what have you people done to me or for <laughs> me? So continue that thought. Yeah, and, and while I was saying that, I, I was being enveloped by this international now family of people who I didn't know just two weeks earlier and people were holding my hand and I was having relationships with people that were felt so sincere and uh, when I said that at the end I just want to remind everybody uh, yeah I sit here with this nose on and my barbershop quartet hat and uh, patch at one point said People, I always point out a new clown. Have you ever seen a walking, talking, one-man band barbershop quartet clown? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, he honored me in, in pointing that out. And I just said, I'm just so, I feel so happy right now. And I can't wait to get back. And I'm going to bring this to other veterans for sure. And Patch uh, then said, George, you're riding with me to the airport. It turns out that this has been a lifelong dream of Patch Adams as well. Uh, that he, he his dad uh, served in Korea. His dad had after effects of his Korean uh, military experience, mm-hmm. had his own uh, level of combat fatigue, if you will, post-traumatic stress. And ultimately, I think when he died, it was from effects of, uh, of him being in the military. So Patch is a, a dependent survivor. So the story of my Andrew rang with Patch, and Patch said, let's figure out how I can produ- uh, put on a program specifically for veterans what do you say? And I said, I'm, I'm with you. So we, we met, uh, got off the plane at JFK and uh, with uh, Dr. Bowen White and uh, Patch's staff from Gesundheit, we, we uh, penciled out on a napkin, literally, the initial uh, pilot trip. What would it look like? And I would make sure we took care of our veterans, knowing their background and some of the issues and the risks that we take in doing something, uh, as, as we've said, it was something new. Now, veterans have been on trips before, but they, they just have never collected that information. And so that's one of the things we'd start to do is ask who on prior trips to Guatemala, to Costa Rica, to uh, Syrian refugee camps. Uh, Patch goes on eight or nine trips a year. It's just amazing uh, the activity. Uh, so how many have been veterans? It turns out there were plenty. And one of those was Fungus, uh, Joe, who lives in Waco, Texas. And he's a Vietnam vet and a medic. And... Uh, so I, I, I learned there was this other guy who didn't live that far away who was a wonderful clown in his civilian life now, and uh, he was one of the first staff we lined up to go on the first trip. So we had myself as, as a, a physician, a primary care physician. We had a Joe who was a former medic or a fungus. As he says, call me fungus. And I said, okay. Uh, we had Patch Adams as a family practitioner who uh, you know had a sense for it but hadn't worked specifically with veterans. And then we went ahead and said, and let's have one-on-one. Let's do it like we do in the military, have a wingman or combat buddy, but let's call him a clown buddy. So on this first inaugurary pilot trip, let's have one-on-one staff with with the veterans. So we had enough money, which was money, uh, thankfully, uh, sent our way by the universal spirit, as our son called it, uh, that had to do with Andrew's death. And we were able to, uh, my wife and I, to earmark $30,000 to go to uh, Patch Adams and the Gesundheit to put on a, a humanitarian clowning trip for veterans with, if you will, intractable PTSD, uh, traumatic brain injuries, uh, suicidal ideation, just depression, anxiety, whatever. It didn't matter. We were not into labels. and But it was, we said, let's on this first trip, 
kind of bring some of the more difficult uh, vets who have been, we've given all the wonderful therapy we have, uh, and yet it hasn't quite worked. It hadn't, hadn't worked for them uh, as we would like. So we uh, put together the trip over two years, got the money, and then in, uh, I went on the uh, Guatemala City trip that Patch uh, had over tradition. And I think at that time in uh, March of 2015, had done gone to Guatemala City maybe 10 times. Uh, and he liked it, and he recommended that be a place of being veterans because it is a military city in that there's there are uniforms present. There are people in their government carrying guns, but they're not at war. So it sort of would be a familiar setting, you might say. And also the hotel is so wonderful. They they become your family when you go there. And it's a hotel that the Gazunite takes over for the week so that you won't have any other people staying at the hotel. And you could really do these sensing sessions. You can really gel as a, as a team and as a troop. So that we decided uh, in March, that's the place to go. And by the next fall, we went on our first trip with uh, 10 veterans from all services. Happily, we got in that 10, we had one from every service except the Coast Guard. We had three women and seven men, and we actually had two veterans from Canada. So wow. uh, it became an international trip, actually. You know, George, that brings up a question. I, You just said it's a, a familiar territory in that it is, it is a um, troubled place where there are guns. Mm-hmm. It was out in the open. One of the things we've talked about before is that Part of the combat experience is a positive thing for many of our veterans. The the risk-taking, they're familiar with that. Do you feel that part of the benefit of this therapeutically is you're in a foreign country. You are taking what we'll call mitigated risks, mm-hmm. but you are out in the open and you are getting a completely different experience than you would have gotten in Afghanistan, for example. <laughs> Does that help to 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 really bring it home that we can rewrite the ending of this story in a different way than it, they had experienced previously? Bingo! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I didn't realize that. Uh, I wrote my memoirs, if you will, uh, coming back from Russia. And one of my, the comments I made was I was, as I, I went to one of the... Uh, places you go in Russia is because uh, you have the time you have two weeks is to go into a family's home uh, so a Russia uh, that they open the home and they get and they make you dinner and you went I went with two other clowns a clown from Canada and a clown from uh, California and they what a wonderful family and these were Russians I had never been to Russia and of course we have you know the Cold War etc I was I was crying I was embarrassed I thought what wonderful, loving people these are. And I realized that my stereotypes and my prejudice needed to go away and that that was a part of my some of my stress. So that's an important piece. And then also uh, going to Guatemala, the veterans volunteered in our we did a pre-trip interview and uh, started making a documentary uh, with beginning with the end in mind uh, on this. We knew we wanted to share this. Uh, and our hypothesis was when you expose anyone because I, we see it in civilians from around the world who go on these trips. They, they're changed. It's like magic. And what is it that's happening? We want to we figure out scientifically what's happening, but uh, they're changed. So we, we were doing documentaries, and the, uh, almost to a person, the 10 vets who went said, one of the important pieces I think, Dr. Patron, you need to take back is doing clowning in the United States is fine. Uh, but 
we we're used to it. It's a controlled, safe environment. And we, this was really important to go to Guatemala and, and uh, the Vietnam vets as well as the our Iraq vets, uh, Gulf War. They almost all said it in their exit interview. Thank you for bringing us to another country, uh, third world or otherwise. That was an important piece of this for me to realize the blessings that I, I have and that I can be the loving child, uh, exuberant, joyful that I was before I had my, uh, you know, episode, my, my experiences that cause more moral dilemma because you follow orders. You, you must. Now you were there giving back in a whole different fashion. And it, it really, it, um, it doesn't erase it. Of course, as we've said, uh, your, your stress from the experiences you had will live with you for your lifetime, but hopefully you are restructuring them so that you can utilize them to do, to, to live on and move forward, etc. So going to another country, I'm, I'm convinced after three clown trips myself now are, is, is absolutely a piece of it. That is the magic of moving people out of their safe, there's the safety box mm-hmm. uh, and and experiencing it personally as opposed to having it done to them. Yes. Now, George, you definitely benefited from this, both therapeutically, emotionally, behaviorally. What was your family's response? <laughs> I'm just chuckling because before we... I left on this trip, and my wife said, "Go, George. Uh, you need a break today, if you will, like the commercial goes. Um, go ahead and and go on this trip." And um, so I went. Uh, our granddaughters, uh, our first granddaughter, uh, was born to our second son, Andrew's brother, Paul, and we have a, another wonderful son, Justin, out in California. They had our first granddaughter, and she was uh, two years old at the time, and um, she was Grandma's little girl. Uh, she liked grandpa too, but uh, when I when I came back and I showed up at their house, I had said, I'm going to get off the plane and JFK in my clown outfit. I, I told the group, I'm going to arrive on U.S. soil as a new person. Uh, I feel so oh, I love it. jubilant. So I got off in my get, my get up and the door opens if you've been through the airport and international. And I stepped out and I said, hello. And <laughs> People were clapping, you know, it's like, and, and people went up the escalator were waving at me and I was saying, I'm, I've arrived home. Well, I showed up at the, at my grand, my grand, the son's house, the granddaughters and uh, the granddaughter at that time, uh, Emma was just a baby at the time. Uh, we have two granddaughters and now six and, and uh, four. And I became Pop Pop, the clown, uh, the clown grandpa. And uh, it's almost like. Um, whenever we showed up, they, of course, still love grandma. Uh, my wife's just the, the epitome of a, the ideal grandmother. But they, they seem to run around her and got to get a little piece of grandpa, a pop-pop, for just a minute. And that's so wonderful. So even at two or three years old, she noticed a huge change in my whole persona. Uh, and then Emma, uh, here, I continue to put the nose on, as Linda knows. Uh, wherever I go to the grocery store, I just say, yep. To the rescue, a clown doctor to the rescue. And I see a, a parent who's having frustration with their child, and you pop your nose on, and Patch, you got to go online and watch Patch talk about it. You can stop gang fights, gangs from being at war in the street by putting on your clown stuff and just walking up. And I've seen that happen too many times. So when I brought Grace to daycare, or her, her preschool, uh, at one time when I was taking care of her in Austin, Texas, the kids all said, look at the clown, look at the clown. I was just in civilian clothes but had my red nose on. 
And then a couple of days later, it was my turn to uh, go pick her up. And I, I went to the same daycare with the same kids to pick her up. I didn't have the nose on, Linda. And the kids were lining up at the window and said, look at the clown, look at the clown. <laughs> <laughs> Making your point perfectly that there the nose go. just allows you to get closer. But once you've gotten close, you have a different relationship. George, we're going right. on another quick break. We will come huh. back and talk further about clowning in and the unconditional love that comes from wearing that nose and receiving it as well. We will be back just after a few messages. Stay with us. Mill Resource Radio, and we'll be back after these short messages. Are you a dynamic woman? Sandra Beck and Linda Crater host Dynamic Women Talk Radio, bringing lively weekly shows in a roundtable format with influential guests from around the globe. This amazing tribe of diverse and accomplished women share their candid views on topics such as reputation, handling rejection, loyalty, what is sexy, overthinking, blended families, and much more. Discussions are joyful with freedom to address topics from various perspectives with candor, respect, and no judgment. These are the conversations you wish you could have with all your family and friends. Dynamic women have lived their lives boldly with unexpected and sometimes undesired turns in the road of life. Yet detours and bumps bring opportunity, personal growth, more authenticity, and a fresh outlook. Join our welcoming tribe of dynamic women each Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time, also on iTunes, and more information at dynamicwomentalkradio.com. Celebrating vibrant, charismatic women everywhere. discussion with Dr. George Patron and we're talking about the very real alternative therapy of sharing space and emotions and time with another human being who has been traumatized. So peers, people who recognize the same things that you have experienced in their own experience and no two experiences are identical. And also finding that there can be post-traumatic growth from such a thing, even though at a certain point, I'm sure, George, you did not think there was a future. Well, exactly so. And uh, those of us who work in the area of suicidology uh, know that one of the people at highest risk are are white men in particular, uh, but men at my age range, and especially those who are fathers who lose sons out of order, and then who are physicians who are advocates. So, uh, yes, uh, life was looking pretty gray, pretty black and white to me, and I was struggling to uh, to get a sense of that I'm, I'm worthwhile uh, and doing wonderful things. My team in Washington said, we're getting something done. Uh, you know, they wanted to help me feel better. And uh, they just, in that setting, uh, your, your coworkers are real important on your safety team. And that's a whole nother program on suicide, how to prevent suicide. So, yes, I wanted to make sense out of my life. Why? You know, that inevitable question, why and what if and if only that happens when people are in grief or when they've deployed and they have known that there's been a part of loss of life or they've seen the... Uh, 
preventable loss of life uh, when they're deployed, or they don't get deployed and they lose belonging with their unit. As we know, the suicide of our veterans is happen happens more after, not out, not on, uh, out in the field, but after. And often with those who weren't able to deploy because the band of brothers, if you will, uh, was put, torn apart and then they maybe had a mental health issue and they were uh, taken off of active duty, which is horrible. So ultimately, yes, the answer to your question and what the research has showed as we've wrestled with, it happened again. In Guatemala, sure enough, one of the uh, Marines said, and sir, this was not a fluke. This was not a fluke. You, it happened. Uh, just like you, it happened to you in Russia. So we're trying to make meaning out of misery, as uh, Kilman calls it, a great article on how to find meaning in suffering. Uh, people who have lost, they want to replace their sense of loss or traumatic experience with knowledge that they weren't at fault. Uh, they were just doing what was right uh, at the time, what they were told to do, they were serving. And now they want to know that they can still experience joy, knowing what they know now. And bring healing to themselves, and especially in their grief uh, for those who are post needing post prevention after loss. Uh, I've got to bring healing to others. Uh, that's a part of my grief journey. So clowning, humanitarian clowning. Not again. You people, they're all everybody's so worried. Oh, I got to juggle. I got to work up a routine, and and he said, no. I got to be funny. Uh, <laughs> no, you don't have to be funny. The no, nose you does don't. it for you. It, it, mm -hmm. And you actually, uh, I knew as a pediatrician, some children uh, fear clowns, and that's right. all. Uh, you, so you got to be very sensitive. And uh, a painting is hanging in a museum in Russia, uh, where the other clowns had to point it out to me when we were on a, went on a tour. Because you also tour the country you're in, you you have some fun. And there was a painting in a Russian museum with a clown with the nose hanging on the string, off the face, and they said, oh, "You spend a lot of your time with the nose off." So. Um, and you're bringing joy and you're helping others heal even for a moment. And uh, one little boy in Russia, I just by serendipity, I was uh, <laughs> uh, sent into a room in, in the uh, place that has the severely developmentally disabled. And I happened to be teamed up with a boy who was blind, deaf, blind, and deaf. Uh, so and he was sitting and rocking in the chair. And I thought, what do I do? He can't see my nose. So I grabbed his hand. I thought, OK, what do I do? I'm, I want, I'm supposed to do something. So. I put his hand, uh, his hand on my face, and then he had a, a smile came to his, mm. uh, and he pulled the nose off and he put it back on, so he could sense it, right? Kinesthetics, you could feel it. And I thought, wait a minute, I was led here. I'm Dr. George, the singing clown. So I put turned on my music, which I got a little uh, Wi-Fi type uh, thing that generates sound on sound with me singing all the parts of a quartet, and I sing one live, and I sang the bass, a bass part. Mm -hmm. I picked this little eight-year-old boy up very distorted because he's not very active and held him and I sang a barbershop quartet songs. I love you Aww. truly and things. And he started saying, uh, saying a word over and over. And I, I asked the interpreter was there, what's he saying? And he's saying, <sighs> he was saying, uncle, don't leave me. Aww. So I uh, I knew leaving that place that that little boy was going to have that memory for just a few minutes, uh, I don't know, 20 minutes I spent there waltzing around the room singing that I, how would I have gotten that experience any other way? Uh, and it gave me a sense, I, my loss is severe, my loss of my son, but my son's legacy is living through me. And so there you go. 
And that happens. You just you hear the stories of people going on these trips from all over the world, and that happens to everyone. Wow, you you have such a, a wonderful story, and you mention a lot that humanitarian clowning really helps you face your issues, and I, I love that you face it, you learn different ways to deal with it, and right. it's able to elicit these positive emotions. What are some other benefits that you experience personally that help with post-traumatic growth? Well, rather than mine, I'd, I'd like to tell you, uh, to read to you uh, what, what a uh, clown on the Guatemala trip or pilot trip said as he was leaving. Uh, he was, uh, we could tell, the staff could tell and, uh, when we met everybody in Guatemala City and at the hotel, which is a wonderful hotel. Um, they take care of you all week and they cry with you and they celebrate with you. On his exit interview, he said, quote, I would say this week is worth the same to me as the entire program at the VA. I'm not taking anything away from the great people who have been wanting to help me. But on a clowning trip, just the help, the guidance, the openness to be yourself, the openness to be a child again, to be able to wear a smile on my face 24 hours a day for seven days is just fantastic. Without Gesundheit and the people that put this trip together, I would not be where I am today. I have a joy inside of me that's just bursting to get out, and I can't wait to get home and show my family. Wow. And you multiply that times 10. And now the second trip uh, funded by the Gesundheit patch. This was a lifelong dream of his, as I was saying. He wanted to do something specific for veterans. And now it's become a, a part of Gesundheit. Um, the third trip, uh, again, funded by Gesundheit, will be taken off uh, probably to Guatemala City. Uh, we may try some other, other trips as well, but uh, either late this year or more likely in 2018. And... Um, so that uh, more veterans uh, who are out there listening that say, I, I, you know, I appreciate everything everyone's done for me, civilian, military, et cetera. They're trying their best, but just I can't, haven't gotten over the, uh, over the hump and feeling like I can, I'm, I'm out of the woods, if you will, and safe again, might want to consider trying it. I uh, would get a hold of uh, the Gazunheit, uh, uh, Patch Adams and his Gazunheit. Uh, it's www.patchadams.org, and you can go in and look at it and do the point of contact there and mention it. Also, as we did for the first two trips, we, we uh, put an all-points all bulletin out to therapists, uh, all the wonderful organizations, Wounded Warriors. In other words, do you know any veterans who you're worried about who are at risk? Uh, you know, send their name to us, and we'll consider having them go on a trip. So uh, and and see if uh, this particular alternative theory might uh, therapy might be the uh, a good one for them. What I love about this is that it is also a small manageable group that people get to know each other quite deeply through the shared mission. It is people who have walked the walk and are now learning how to trust again and to talk again. Many of our vets are very aware that they're not making the progress that they want to make. But if they see no alternative, they can spiral downward very easily, especially mm -hmm. our older vets and our younger ones. I mean, across the board, hope is a huge healer. And one of the reasons I wanted to bring this uh, 
program to our listeners is because I doubt too many people have heard of <laughs> humanitarian clowning. And, and yet many people have seen the movie of yeah. Patch Adams. And so I, I think that what you've been talking about today is so very important. And you have also begun your own organization to work for suicide prevention. I'd like you to mention that website as well. And then we'll just let you close with anything else we did not give you time to talk about. <laughs> okay. Yes, well, it, it, it turns out, again, by the universal spirit, uh, whoever your faith is in, um, where you get your hope from, uh, you know, standard um, uh, faith-based communities or otherwise, um, it, things happen do happen for a reason. And when my son died, it turned out his uh, email address on Gmail had serendipity in it, and I had never taken the time to really see that. So I looked up the word, and uh, serendipity is a great story of... Uh, a group, uh, a group in Sri Lanka, an ancient society that had them funds to be able to uh, travel the country. And they uh, would come across people who had needs and not because they had to, but because they want to and could, they helped them out. And then they didn't expect anything in return and went on their way. So all my career, long before the loss we had, I had said, I want to, I met people like that who just gave of themselves in the military and civilian world, uh, from uh, being an orderly in a hospital, from being an ambulance driver, paramedic for 10 years, and then med school, etc. I, I want to be on their team. So I started forming a dream team in my mind and on paper. So that, uh, with the, uh, a couple years after my son's death, I decided to pull these people together. We formed a 501c3 nonprofit, and we decided to call it Serendipity Alliance. So uh, our website is www.serendipityalliance.org. And uh, we will respond to whatever comes our way. And if we're not the right organization to do training, education, we don't do the therapy, although as individuals we can do services and therapy. We've got instructors, we've got clinicians. That We do that on our own. But we provide education and training and advocacy. Uh, I was on the phone with a veteran just before we started today who's, who's having some issues with the removal of, of uh uh, um, of support because of various issues. So, uh, almost Thank a week, you, George. week doesn't I, go by. You know? I'm so sorry that we have to cut you off. I think that replacing trauma with shared joy is quite the priority to have. And we thank you for sharing your experiences and stories with us today. There's a lot to learn from here. Thank you for well, listening this morning. We will have guests again next week. Make it a great Thank you for listening to Mill Resource Radio. For more information, go to millresourceradio.com.